0: 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 to 17. I'm taking this in a slightly different um, order from what was previously um, published but next week we're going to do all of verse 18 to chapter 3 verse 7. So uh, today let's um, pray as we look at God's word now. Father, thank you for this um, time to uh, look at your word together. Thank you that um, you're with us by your spirit and even in um, slightly extraordinary circumstances. And as we are aware of the frailty of relying on technology in this way, we thank you that your word uh, endures forever. Thank you that uh, though we are Um, Our flesh is like grass and our glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. May we hold on to that truth today and may you teach us now by your Holy Spirit as we look at your words together. Amen. So I'm not a particular fan of swimming, but there would be times in my life, maybe around New Year... Uh, Well, I've decided what what I really need to do is to get into a new routine of early morning swimming. And, you know, once or twice, I've made it to about three weeks. Don't know how you've done when you've tried that. And what you find if you visit a swimming pool very early in the morning is that there is a distinct clientele who frequent the swimming pool at that time of day. And not to put too fine a point on it, they look like they've probably been sent by their doctor. And there's a little club of them. And what they do is they sit on the side of the pool. Sometimes they have their feet dangling in the water. Sometimes they stand in the shallow end holding on to the side. And what do they do? They chat. Now, this is 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. And I want to say, what on earth are you doing? You go through all the struggle of dragging yourself out of bed on a pitch black January morning and you get to the pool and you get changed and then you just sit on the side and chat. Very little swimming gets done, if any at all. Now that might sound crazy in the context of a swimming pool, but I think Christians can sometimes exhibit a similar phenomenon. If the swimming pool is the world around us, then Christians can often end up doing one of two things. One is plunging into the pool, unprepared, unable to swim, and drowning. And the other is staying on the side. In our swimming costume, but in our own little bubble on the sidelines of the world. Don't get involved. Don't get wet. It's safer. It avoids drowning. And the question is, is it better to immerse yourself in the world around you, become like them, be accepted by them, be seen as one of them, or is it better to stay distinct, separate, so there's no doubt we are not the same as you. We have nothing to do with the world outside. And Peter is writing to Christians who are struggling with this issue. They're exiles, remember, if you've been with us. They're scattered in a foreign land. And in the first part of this letter, Peter's reminded them of their hope for the future that gives them a new identity while they continue to live in this foreign land. And now Peter turns to explore some of the situations where living this out might be particularly challenging, where they need to learn to swim rather than playing it safe on the poolside or being pulled under by the cultural currents and drowning. And we have a general principle here in verses 11 and 12 that Roger read for us, and then a specific application to the state and the government in verses 13 to 17. And next time we'll see it applied more to sort of individual households and workplace. So we'll come back to that next week. But the basic principle from verses 11 and 12 goes like this how can christians engage with the world around them without withdrawing entirely on the one hand or being submerged and lost forever on the other hand how do we find our way between those two extremes neither of which is what we want to see well the answer is we need to resist sin do good and god will be glorified three things to see these points are here in verses 11 and 12 Resist sin, do good, and God will be glorified. And they're here again, then, in verses 13 to 17. And so we'll see uh, those verses, the second paragraph, as a kind of application, a specific application of what Peter says generally in verses 11 and 12. So first, resist sin. Now, look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... To abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Now, if you imagine the swimming scenario, the flesh and the world around you are constantly trying to pull you under. They're waging war, it's a daily battle. And when you're suffering like these Christians were, it's a battle that at times will feel too hard to continue in. Maybe we've been feeling like that in lockdown. What's what's the point? It's too hard. Patience runs thin. Frustration levels are sky high. Just keeping going and surviving seems enough. It's easier not to fight at all and just go with the flow. And Peter is saying, if you do that, you'll drown. You'll be pulled under by the currents beneath. Now of course when he says this it's not just a question of you know come on Christian try harder not to sin which we all know works for about five minutes if you know if that before we revert back to how we were before. This comes after Peter has very carefully laid out the motivation for living differently because of what Jesus has done for us and because of who God has made us to be. Remember we always say Christianity Is about what God has done. It's not about what we must do, first and foremost. It's not about the rules we must keep. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And because of what he's done, we are citizens of a different country now, if we're trusting in Jesus. We are subject to different laws. Now, it may be normal in the culture around you to be greedy with your money, to live for the present, to view pornography, to sleep with someone before you're married. But you're an exile if you're trusting in Jesus. This is not your home. You don't belong here. You belong to the kingdom where Jesus is Lord. The same Jesus who died for you to take the penalty you deserve for for your sin. How can you now carry on living for yourself instead of for him? His spirit is living in you. In his strength you can say no to sin and yes to going his way. But okay. One question that Christians might then ask is, if I'm a citizen of Jesus's kingdom and therefore here and now I'm an exile from that kingdom and I'm longing to be there, I'm a sojourner, I'm on holiday as it were, I'm away from home, how then do I relate to the laws of the country that I'm living in now and their customs? If Jesus is my Lord, who then is the emperor? Who is the prime minister? Who is the president? Can I just ignore them? Should I just ignore them if I'm a Christian and I have a higher allegiance? Well, you can see um, what Peter says in verses 13 to 17. You need to see them for what they are, he says. The Roman Empire was set up to have you believe it had ultimate authority over everything. The emperor himself was divine or perhaps would become divine after death. He would become part of the many gods that the, Roman, the Romans worshipped. And so perhaps it's surprising in one sense to hear Peter say, be subject for the Lord's sake, verse 13, to every human institution, to the emperor as supreme and to his governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. There's a similar thought in Romans chapter 13. And it doesn't mean everything the government does is automatically Right. And it doesn't mean there is one political party that every Christian should vote for. But it does mean that whoever is in government is there as a minister of God. They've been, they, they, they have his authority. They, 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 the authority they have ultimately comes from him. Now the question is whether they're going to use that authority in a right way or a wrong way. But it, it derives from him. And so Christians, be subject for the Lord's sake, to those governing institutions, even while you're in exile, even while your supreme allegiance is to Jesus as Lord. And so while you uh, live as an exile with Jesus as Lord, you need to keep that priority of resisting sin in your life while you live in, this, in the country wherever you are. But what then happens when those two come into conflict? When the government says one thing, but God says another in the Bible. It's a question that we, you know, it comes up more and more, doesn't it? Well, look at verse 17. This is helpful. It's a subtle point, but it's significant. Look at this, verse 17. Honor everyone, but when it comes to Christians and brothers and sisters, that's what he that's what means by brotherhood, brothers and sisters, love them. That's, that's more than honour, isn't it? That's more than giving them the due respect. That is, love them. Go beyond the call of duty. And then fear God. Now, people would usually expect to hear to be told, you know, you need to fear the emperor because whatever the emperor says goes. You know, you can't mess with him. No, God is the one you need to fear more than any human ruler. And then finally, what then do we do with the emperor? Honour the emperor. Now look at the verse, that's the same as for everyone. Honour everyone, honour the emperor. Actually, it's bringing the emperor down, isn't it? It's cutting him down to size. You do need to give him the due um, uh, regard that he's needing. You need to give the government due regard. But we are citizens first of God's kingdom. We resist sin... And we make that our priority because we belong to him and Jesus is our Lord. And we submit to ruling authorities here and now where the two are not in conflict. So, what when they are then, is there a place for civil disobedience? Can Christians protest against a government? Now, these are relevant questions right now, aren't they? With all that's going on in this country and around the world. And you can't give blanket answers to these things, because the issues are complicated. But at least asking the questions is a good place to start, rather than just ignoring them. God does care about how we relate to our government. Now, we live in a country where peaceful protest is completely legal. So if Christians are taking part in peaceful protest, good for them. But Christians in Hong Kong, I know, have struggled with this. Um, much more recently and i think have been divided between themselves on how to respond because if it comes to the point where you're being told it is no longer legal to protest in this way how do you how do you respond to that i think it's difficult i'm not saying i'm not going to say well you know there isn't an, an easy answer to that but i think maybe that's why in this context peter says honor everyone but love your brothers and sisters, verse 17 again. You see, it's when we're suffering and it's when we're going through difficult times that we need each other the most. And it's also then that we're most likely to fall out with one another and disagree. And if that's true in sort of how you relate to the government and whether you protest, I think it's probably also true even as we relate to the things we're dealing with right now. And even as we work out how we're going to come out of lockdown, whatever that looks like. We're under pressure. We're we're all feeling pressure in all kinds of different directions and it's easy to fall out and kind of go, why are you doing that? Why are you doing it like this? Love your brothers and sisters, Peter says. As you come under pressure from outside, you need to keep that love for one another and bearing with one another and being patient with one another at the core of everything you're doing as brothers and sisters. Exiles need to stick together, need to keep putting God first, keep loving one another, or we will sink to the bottom of that pool so that is resisting sin but there's more it's not just resisting sin it's also then doing good can you see this so after verse 11 verse 12 keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable um so that it's, it's so, so he's saying it's not enough not to break the law it's not enough just not to be an obvious troublemaker to keep your head down no go further be known for doing good now Daniel had to work this out in Babylon that's why we read that reading from Daniel chapter 1 he was known not simply for refusing to eat at the king's table which was his kind of line in the sand to show he wasn't part of that culture he was an exile from somewhere else but he was known also for his wisdom Now, sometimes Christians are known more for what we're against than what we're for. We're different from the world around us, but that should be both negative and positive. Because aren't people searching for a sense of identity, of belonging, of meaning and purpose, for community, for love and acceptance, for hope, for forgiveness? Don't Christians have all that and more to offer? to this world? Doesn't the world around us need to see and hear that? It's striking, though, that doing what is good in God's eyes, if you look, won't always be seen in that way. So look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, and we'll see what happens after that. But they're going to see... They're 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 still going to interpret some of what you're doing, even though it's honourable and right, and you are going beyond what the law requires in your country to be a good citizen. They're still going to look at you and think, no, that's evil. And that can confuse us, that can throw us, that can make us anxious. And it's because we're out of step with the values and the customs of the world around us, because our first allegiance is to God. So just think about, you know, right now in our culture, there's this huge debate about gender and sexuality and even marriage. And despite what is sometimes heard, Christians have positive things to say here. You see, in a world of confusion about who we are, we know there is a God in whom we can find identity because he made us. In a world that says there should be no constraints at all on sexual expression... We say going God's way on sex and relationships and marriage is best for human flourishing. It's not just keeping constraining random rules. It's saying, hey, look, this is how the God who made us has designed us and the world. And life goes better when we go his way. This is the way to real joy and freedom and love. We were helped by this when Rob Wood from the True Freedom Trust came and talked to us about his experiences of same-sex attraction and why for him, going God's way, the Bible's way, and committing to celibacy while following Jesus, that for him has been the path to freedom and joy. And if you missed that, go and listen to the recording of it. It's on our website under our talks from about February. Um, And it's a really, really helpful um, uh, testimony from him. But Peter is saying, don't be surprised if people hear you saying all those things. As we well know, you stick your head above the parapet and you say these things, people will say, oh, look, you're a bigot. No, Peter says, look, this is going to happen. If you're out of step with the values of the world around you, people will call what you're doing evil. But don't let it stop you from doing good, Peter says. And we'll see precisely why in a moment. But before that, just notice this overflows then into how we relate to the state as well. Verses 15 and 16. Be known in the world for doing good, for going beyond the law, and uh, though you are free, verse 16. And that freedom seems to be in contrast to those who are slaves, from verse 18 onwards. Don't use that freedom to serve yourself like everyone else does. You know The fact that you've got your freedom in that culture then, would have meant, well, I can just live for myself. No, use that freedom that you have to serve God. Now, I guess at the moment we face particular tension over all these guidelines about lockdown and confusing instructions at times. And What are we supposed to be doing? When are we supposed to do it? What if other people aren't keeping the rules? And all that kind of thing. And there is clearly a particular tension when a government is telling Christians... Not to meet. I wonder if you've wondered about that. You know, is it right to listen to the government on this when the Bible tells us to meet together? Now in some times and places that will be a sign that you are living under a totalitarian regime and you should do everything you can to defy the ban and carry on meeting. You know as Christians did in China under Mao and, and some continue to do today. For us, it's more complicated, isn't it? Because Christians are not only commanded to meet together, but they're also commanded not to endanger life, pretty obviously. And there is a pretty clear risk of doing that as things stand or as things have been over the last few months. So we pray that that there might be ways of doing it safely going forwards. But all other things being equal, you see, Christians do need to be seen to be exemplary in their conduct. As citizens, not just looking for loopholes. It doesn't help when you know the news headlines can point to an example of a church just unthinkingly breaking the law in some way or, or even you know, unthinkingly contributing to another outbreak of the virus or whatever. We need to be alert to that and the effect on our witness to the world because ultimately we want people to hear about Jesus, not just about Uh, people who who don't keep the rules or whatever. But the question is why? Why then does this matter? What's the point? Well, it's not to get a good citizen's badge. It's not to get a knighthood or whatever. It's not just to be thought of as a good citizen. That's not the end point. It's something much more significant. And that's the, the third thing that we see here. Thirdly, finally, resist sin, do good, so that God may be glorified so that God may be glorified what happens even as people speak against you and call you evil doers or bigots as you seek to do good verse 12 look at that even as they do that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation see they're watching to see if your values and way of living is for real and and the day of visitation you know when they will glorify God that's a phrase that you see throughout the Bible for the end of the world when Jesus returns and Peter keeps referring to that day throughout the letter as well but how will these people who are rejecting Christ how will they glorify God then either because in the end they come to faith or because as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2 one day every knee will bow to Jesus willingly or unwillingly and what these suffering Christians have done will be used in evidence against those who persist in rejecting Christ until the end. It's the same thought in verse 15, in the context of being good citizens, in order to silence the ignorance of those who claim Christians are doing evil. Again, if they're not silenced now, they will be silenced on that day. One way or another, God is glorified by his people keeping going and along the way some at least will come to faith in Jesus as they see that these Christians don't just talk the talk but they walk the walk they live out what they mean even when it's costly to them they're prepared to suffer because they are citizens not of this country that's falling apart or this empire or whatever it might be in whichever time and place but they're citizens of heaven and if you're not yet trusting Jesus these verses may be a bit of a puzzle but you are asked, you are invited to look not just at what the Christians around you say, but what they do and ask if it adds up. And if it doesn't, well, tell us. We want to know. We're not, we, we know we're not perfect. We're sinners. That There will be ways in which we will always, our lives and what we say will not match up. And we believe Jesus died for us. But as those for whom Jesus died, we want what we say to match what we do. And there's a strong sense in which words are not enough to bring somebody to faith in in what Peter's saying here. Do you see? Words are definitely necessary. There's a kind of nonsense aphorism which is attributed to St Francis of Assisi. He said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. No, no, words are always necessary. You're going to have to tell people about Jesus. You need to hear and believe that Jesus has died and risen from the dead. But words are often not sufficient especially if they're not backed up by a consistent lifestyle the fourth century theologian augustine um, apparently said um, church is a hospital for sinners not a hotel for saints and it's great for reminding us that we're all broken people and church is going to be messy but The thing about a hospital is it still needs to be a distinctively clean environment, free from dirt and bacteria, different from the world around it. I've talked about my brother and his family who are missionary doctors in Madagascar. They're still waiting for coronavirus to arrive in their region in the north of the country. But when it does, the government have required them to refer any patients with suspected infection to an empty building on the edge of the town with no electricity and no running water. And that is the hospital that awaits those who go down with the virus. And it's ridiculous, clearly it's not a a hospital, is it? It's just a building, and a poor one at that. You see, if a church is a hospital for sinners, it's not enough just to be the same as the world around us, another building, as it were, that you could just chuck people into that's the same as all the other buildings around it. It's not enough to anxiously blend in in the name of relevance and being taken seriously. Hospitals need to be places where the sick will find effective treatment and care. And Christians and churches need to be places where people will see and hear a distinctive saving message about Jesus and when we do that as we resist sin and we do good because we're citizens of another kingdom we find we're not stuck on the edge of the pool to go back to that original picture you know stuck on the edge of the pool too scared to get involved but also we're not being sucked under either and drowning and being submerged and lost in the culture no different no distinction we are swimming and others are being saved from drowning and God is being glorified let me pray father thank you for this message and may our response to it be to resist sin to do good and bring glory to you we long for people to hear what we say and to see in the way that we live that we believe in you we are citizens not of this world we are exiles from heaven, we are waiting for Jesus to return, for heaven to come to earth. May that be apparent in our lives. May we then be able to point to you in what we say and do so that uh, people may come to faith in Jesus and glorify you when Jesus returns. Amen.